Welcome to episode 105 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? Not bad. It's a, it's a very nice day here in Glendale. Actually, I'm not doing that great. I'm, act- I'm sick. Oh, no. You, normally, it's me who's whining. I know. So the health watch is going to be refocused on me, I guess. What happened? <clears throat> I don't know. I picked up a cold. I don't get sick very often, but you, you know, maybe once a year and... I got some kind of a cold. I, I almost thought that, I, that we weren't going to be able to do the show. Oh, okay. Because of, you know, the coughing and stuff. But I've medicated myself. I have a big thing of, a uh, big cup of tea here. I think, I'm all, I think I'm all set. I think I can make it through. Okay. Well, let's try. If, it, if, it, if it's really too painful, we'll uh, maybe just do a short show. Well, it won't be painful for me, probably. It could be painful for our listeners. <laughs> well, you know what's great is because you're using, this is the first time you're using the new um, mic, right? So the, the listeners can hear the cold in all its glory. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, we finally got all the gear hooked up for both of us, right? So you had ordered the mic, the new microphone and headset and, and professional in, you know, microphone input. But, for, but there's something wrong with the mic, right? What was the, what's the problem? I don't think there is anything wrong with it. I, I, it was just when you used it, it sounded like there was a cowbell ringing in the background. But when I used it, it seems fine. <laughs> yeah, so we did, we did a little switch up. I drove over to your house this weekend and we switched mics. Yeah. And, and now it's fine. Yeah. And, and you don't hear a cowbell coming from me? No. But, and do you hear one coming from me? No, you sound fine. Cool. Great. Well, so the other thing we need to do then is we'll, we'll do the double ender. So I will basically take the raw audio from you and put it into the show and we'll see how that sounds. Right. Should be interesting. So um, you called me a few times this week with all kind of interesting stuff, and I kept telling you to stop calling me and, and wasting content. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Well, now I, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost at a loss. Remind me, of, <laughs> remind me of some of the things that I called you about. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, you emailed me this, this morning about uh, your concept of the infinity inbox or inbox. It's infinity not really more. I mean, it's not really, uh, I don't, I mean, I've blogged about the idea of an infinity inbox, but because you know, there's inbox zero, this idea of kind of keeping all of your email out of your inbox. And, um, I was listening to, um, the optimization guys have just started a podcast and uh, I was listening to their, their show. I thought, wait, it's called the optimization guys. Yeah. The optimization guys. And you'd kind of think that the show would be about website optimization, but I think that it's about, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a lot of life hacking. I think it's about life hacking. That's the, that's what I think. Cause they, they they've done like five shows and, and nothing's been about um, website optimization. It's all been about, <laughs> <laughs> but you're still hooked. <laughs> well, I just like it. I mean, I know that they listen to us. They've blogged, they've blogged about us a couple of times and they've mentioned us a couple of times. So, you know, oh, that's cool. They have, I, that's, so how did you find out about them? Did they email you? Uh, they they uh, sent me a tweet just pointing out that they'd written a blog post and mentioning texting as one of their favorite shows. Oh, that's cool. What? Who are they? What are their names? Do you know? Uh, oh no! Don't put me don't put me on the spot like that. Okay, <laughs> I, I'll take you off the spot. Um, I'm terrible with names anyway. I don't remember names at all. Well, look. I, well, that's really cool. What did you think of the show? Yeah, I thought the audio was awesome. You know, for, for for something just starting out, like they're five episodes in, each show's like thirty minutes long. They've got very high quality audio. 
off the bat. So that's great. Do you think they took some of your advice? Were they one of the people who emailed you about how we do our audio? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't keep track of the problem is, is this getting to the point where so, so much emails coming in, it's difficult to kind of keep track of all of that stuff until you've had a few interactions with people, you know, know, it kind of takes like five to 10 interactions with people before it kind of sticks in the brain. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's who that is. (laughs) All right. Cause a lot of people have emailed you about things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. And so you're 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 hooked. Are you an optimization guys listener now? I, I've listened to a couple of episodes. I got I st- I stopped at episode two because I was kind of inspired to write that blog, which is about uh, the infinity emails. So so their episode number two is about in, uh, inbox zero, and I was just kind of saying how I guess I've just had one inbox for the last fifteen years, <laughs> and I've got thirty thousand messages in it at this stage. So uh, I don't. So well, what's what's the um... What's the thinking behind that? I mean, why, why, why don't you delete them or put them in the well, archive? Because if, I mean, because if I kind of put them in the archive and delete them, I have to think about them more than I do if I just leave them. So what I do is I just, everything comes in, it, it's, it, it's unread and it's bold. And then I, as I action it, I just click into it and then action it. And also um, over the years, I've set up quite a lot of auto labeling. So um, okay. probably like a <laughs> hundred or more. So um, when stuff hits hits into my Gmail account, it gets auto labeled with a big bright brightly colored label. I auto label it in caps, so I can just look at look at my inbox and get a pretty clear idea of what's going on. You know. I, okay, so I have a couple questions. First of yeah, all, shoot. how do you auto label things? I mean, what, what are you doing exactly? You just uh, you just create a filter in Gmail. You know. Okay, what do you filter on? You filter it contains word texting. Yeah, exactly. That means it's a texting related email. If if it contains the word texting or podcast, I put a big red filter, a, a big red label on it saying podcast. You know, and it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, and do you have it like if it contains that word in the title or in the body or both or things anywhere, like that? I mean, how anywhere? Just just keywords that are going to be related to that overall concept. So, but I, but I just mean like in the in the filter in the filtering mechanism for Gmail. Yeah, I mean, can you can it, can you set up filters that are specific to say the subject field versus? Oh, body, you, you can, you can. But I mean, I just basically just just say, just use the thing that just checks anything. It checks the subject, it checks the uh, the text, it checks the, the sender, etc. Okay, well, so here's my second question. I mean, okay, it comes in bold, but just because you've read it doesn't mean you've taken care of it. It doesn't mean it's been actioned on, actioned on, or whatever. You, however. You want to describe it, right? Well, so I've got so, another little um, another little tag uh, that I set up um, in Gmail called To Do, and I have okay. I put a little dot in front of it, so it's dot To Do, and because it's got the dot, it, it's always at the top. So I just basically label anything that I have to action with To Do, hmm. and then just take yeah, that so, label off when I've done it. So Sandy does that. My wife Sandy does that, um, and my uh, Mark, who you know, yeah, friend of mine, does that too. So yeah, they have like tens of thousands of emails in their inbox. They don't use archive or delete. And um, for me, I mean, I can understand the rationale. I, I don't like it because the same reason I don't like to walk in a room that has just a bunch of stuff lying around because I find it the noise, the visual noise distracts me. But it, and if, I, if every time I looked, if every time I get in inbox, I'm looking at all of these items, some are which I, I have are pending, some are which I've com- are long since completed, and, and some are which are unread. I mean, it just is too much noise. I just like, if it's done, it's done. I don't want to see it. I don't want to think about have it. Have you started uh, using, um, you, I know the, you know the way you're using Git, right? Uh, and you're using SVN. Yeah. Have you started mm-hmm. looking through the logs ever? Just occasionally no. glance through the logs. For me, it's, it's kind of, I treat it like a, a subversion or a Git log. 
So as as the emails come in, I just don't really think of them as uh, anything other than just, oh, just a kind of data point in time. So I'll then kind of go through them. I can go through the inbox for the past few days and it'll give me an idea of what's been happening over the past few days. Hmm. Does that make sense? I guess so, yeah. I mean, I just do a search, but I have to say that number of times I've sent emails on stuff and you, you can't find them. <laughs> right? I mean, I've said, well, you know, you'll be asking me, like, well, when's this interview? And I'm like, well, I sent you an email about it, you know, and you're like, I can't find it. Okay. Why can't you find it? <laughs> oh, no. Now I feel like a plugger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. So either either you're BSing me or your system isn't as good as you think. I it may is. be, I may, it may be a BSing. little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, right. I was about to say, I was thinking that because you just, when I was walking to lunch this afternoon, I was thinking that. I'm like, either. Justin is bullshitting me about how I can't find my emails when he forgets, you know, or he just wants me to tell him rather than looking at looking the time up. Or there's something fundamentally wrong with this system. You know, I'll let you I'll let you off the hook. I'm not gonna push you on All that right. one. So Infinity Inbox. So you're gonna are you gonna write us as a blog post? Yeah, it's I've already posted it, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And how did any 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 love? Any HN love? Uh got four points. <laughs> That's a nod. Yeah. That's a tip of the hat, yeah, but it's, like, it's not a... <laughs> thanks for writing, but uh, it's, we're it's not, not really a high interested. Five. Yeah. It's not a high five. Yeah. The, the, you know, I think we got to come up with some ter- terminology. So if it goes to number one, that's ringing the bell, <laughs> right? Are you going to ring the bell? You know what I mean? Like when, the, you know, when you go to the, the, like they have like the old time carnivals or whatever, and you would have to hit the sledgehammer and try and knock the... Uh, the um, the weight would go up to the, to hit the very top and hit the bell ring the bell. Well, there's different there's different levels of number one, isn't there? Right, right. Well, so that's but you know you you understand what I mean the the yeah. the, the so, me- metaphor or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's like ringing the bell. So you got to ring the bell on Hacker News as you get hit number one. It's just really hard to do. I mean, it's you can get the three or four or five, but getting that number one spot is tough. And then there's and then the 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 biggest one I think is when you get pin it. Can you pin it to number one? It just sits up there for like a day or half a day. It's like, it reminds me of like in basketball when, I, when you know, some guy trying to go up and make a layup or something and some guy goes to block it and he like pins, he blocks, he doesn't just block the shot, but he pins the ball against the backboard. <laughs> that's his pin in it. That, no, that's a very nice analogy. I wonder, I wonder who kind of has the, the most um, track record, you know, the biggest track record of doing that, of pinning it. Hmm. I don't know. Um, it would be interesting to write some stats on that. Probably someone like uh, Jason Cohen or... or um, There's been a lot about maybe, Google uh, recently. Sivers. That, that just kind of sticks up there. A lot about this uh, do not track stuff and the privacy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of these ones that... that see, the thing of... There's a difference between people who can hit number one and it's up there for like, a, you know, half an hour to an hour and gets maybe 150, 200 points. Yeah. There's been a lot of people like Jason Cohen um, or maybe Rob Walling um, who even who've, who probably hit at least half a dozen times or maybe two, maybe more, maybe a dozen times have hit number one. But, one, but written posts that have, that have just really sat up there for like, you know, 12 hours or something, that's rare. That seems like those are just, that's, it's kind of like those rare events. They're outliers. Well, it's, it's ironic. I mean, we've, we've both done that, but mine was through submitting. Um, a friend of mine uh, does mixtapes and uh he mm. the, the music that he does is awesome to program to right so i just submitted a link to his page just saying hey this is great music to program to and that stayed up there for a day <laughs> so like, really how many points did yeah, it get a couple of hundred i think i think at that time because uh, that was about a year and a half ago right so, ha- oh, so, so a couple hundred points was yeah. see, we, see we have point inflation yeah 
That's true. Right? Right. So it's, it's a little like, it's a little like a point inflation. So you need more Hacker News dollars <laughs> to get the same value. Awesome. Right? <laughs> you need more Hacker News. So a point's like a Hacker News dollar. Hacker News do- a point or Hacker News dollars worth less than it was a year ago. It so is. In this it's sense, worth like half least, the price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, 50, you know, 100% inflation. <laughs> Except I guess you could say almost that like the growth rate of the site is 100%. But I'm not sure if the growth rate of the of the site uh, being 100% is the same thing as the number of people participating in, in um, voting on stories. But the other thing is you could say it, the value isn't on like, we'll keep it on the front page. The value on it ultimately is how many people will see it. So, the, so right? that kind of means that larger karmas, right, don't, don't have the same, same level of value either. Yeah, that's like your net worth. So if you if you earned your new, your money back a year, year and a half ago, all of a sudden it's like it's been it's been squashed, devalued. Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's it's the currency has been debased <laughs> with the growth of of the the input of new dollars. But at the same time, the new dollars are okay. If it's a closed system in a sense that it was the same number of people, maybe it'd be worth less. But the reality is, there's more people coming into the system. So more people are seeing it. So it may be, it was harder to earn those dollars, the, the number of points earlier, but the ultimate value you get out of um, those points is probably going up because there's just more people that can, um, that can view the stuff that you're putting up there. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. That's nice. I don't know. So um, listen, how's Epic Night going? It's going well. Uh, so let's see what happened. Um, Let's see, I, I talked to, I gave a demo to Ruben of uh, Bitch Sketch. Oh, yeah. R- Ruben is the uh, sort of the unknown um, guy, the unknown sort of Apignite customer zero I've mentioned a couple of times. I said I wasn't sure I could mention his name. And he and mommy said, don't worry about it. You know, I could use his name. So he works for some billion dollar payroll company. In fact, I don't even know the name of the company. I gotta, I gotta ask him that. So, and he says they have, you know, like 11 guys in their web dev group and they have all these internal apps that they're requested to build because there's all these different groups or departments and people need all kind of customized, um, you know, often simple applications, stuff that people might use Excel for to track information yeah. and just email around spreadsheet, things like that. You know, that could become more sophisticated, but it just people are sort of limited by what they can do in Excel, so they keep it real simple. Um, and when, pe- when, when, they're, when the web dev group is repro- repro- approached um, by people in the company to build these apps, their general response is like, look, I, you know, we can have a conversation with you about this in, say, three months. But, and then we'll figure out what the resources are and everything. They've just got a backlog. Yeah, it's just, it's just you know, they, they're, they're, they're busy. They got a ton of stuff already. You know, their plate is full. And so... You know, the users end up walking away going, you know, just trying to do whatever they can do to, to, to organize and track and share the information that they need to. So um, he contacted me a while back about, you know, a month ago about the possibility of giving him a demo saying that his company would be, might be an ideal um, customer and that he'd like to see it. So I gave him a demo, um, was it last week? Yeah. Middle of the week. And it was interesting. So when you give a demo to someone, you kind of have these two scenarios in your mind. One is that they go, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> you're a genius. This is the greatest piece of software ever written. I can't, you know, there's that reaction that you're hoping for. And there's the reaction you're dreading, which is that, uh, so yeah, well, this really won't work for us, but, uh, you know, good luck. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> right. And that's the one you're dreading. Yeah. You're like, oh, I have to. But I had the other reaction, which is like, yeah, yeah, this will work. So if you can just add these two things, um, that'd be great. That'd be more than what we need. You know, you're like, okay. <laughs> it was like a real matter of fact, like, you know, they, they really needed very simple solutions for the most part. They didn't, because Epic Night allows you to create, you know, very complex um, applications. Um, but for, in their case, it was often, you know, a simple form or two, you know, maybe even a couple forms would do it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe some more sophisticated, slightly more sophisticated than what you'd have by a simple form. But he, he said that he had done some research and looked at a bunch of different solutions. And the problem is all those solutions require you to run your application or your forms or whatever remotely on a hosted site. They, they couldn't run these applications internally within their um, environment, right? Well, you just, go, just before you go into that, right, it's, it makes sense about the simplicity that they want something simple because think about it, most of these apps are just people doing stuff on Excel, you know, and looking for a better way to do it. Yeah, well, and the thing is too is that, you know, a lot of times you're just trying to solve your primary problem, but if you, if you could solve that in a way in a way that allowed you to go to the next step and the next step, you might, those applications might evolve to become something quite more, a lot more interesting and yeah. more complex, right? I mean, if all you got is, is one spreadsheet, I mean, you know, and you're trying to share with people, there's just only so much you're going to do. You're right. Um, so these things could become more complex, but they kind of get stuck after that first, they get, they get in first gear and they're like, well, this is all we can do. It works. Well, you whatever. always get the power user. Like in, I, I've seen this in, in uh, corporates companies that you get someone who's kind of, really into developing like an access database type of product, do you think? You know, they, they, they kind of fancy themselves a little bit of a developer and yep. they'll, they'll get into it and they'll make it a little bit better. And I can imagine people, people doing that with Epic Nine. Yeah, well, that's where we'll start, right? Only people who would use Access or... Um, FileMaker Pro. FileMaker Pro or something like that, internal, that, internal application stuff. So anyway, the, the real selling point for them was that with Epic Nine, they would be able to design an application and then export it and install it and run it on their own internal web servers. Interesting. That was huge from their perspective. Huh. And, and I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know, that could really be a key selling point of AppIgnite in that you export the applications to run on whatever web server on your shared hosting web server, you know, you pay $10 a month for your virtual private host or your own co-located server or your own... You know, your own internal web server, whatever, right? Yeah. But you designed it on AppIgnite, and then, so you could export it, you could build a version, design a version of it, export it, and then you go, oh, you know, we want to add some more fields, I want to add some filters, I want to change some designs, I want to add some more, you know, back-end tables, whatever. You go in, you make those design changes, and then you can either export it, and I have, come, I have a couple other ways of thinking to do this, and then when you do that, when you install the new version, it automatically does runs all the migrations on the database and upgrades everything in place and then you can always roll back yeah that's awesome that's a really that's really good um and so it's what i'm thinking thinking is technically yeah yeah and so the thing about it is that what's really cool about this is that i kind of get the best of both worlds from like sort of this software as a service model which which is great and that you you build up clients and and you get this continuing revenue stream perpetual revenue stream right you get just like you have with Pluggy or any of these other sites have. You know, you, rather than having to make a, sale, a certain number of sales every month, everybody's paying you a monthly rate. But the pro- one of the problems with Hosted is that you have to make sure that your stuff is up, otherwise your clients are screwed, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if I'm building applications or, or people are building applications on my platform, I better have a super solid platform because if I go down, they go down, right? And it's not just like, oh, you know, I can't log into Facebook for 20 minutes. I mean, if they have a, if they have a business application that's running, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of line there. But if I allow them to export it, then they run it on their own. They, can, they run it on Rackspace or Amazon or cloud or whatever they want. But they're still going to keep a, a, an account with me where they have their actual application definition and where they design it. Because if they don't, if they shut it down, if they pay for like, let's say the cheat would be like, oh, go in, spend a month or two, design the application App Ignite, export it onto the whatever server, and they shut down the account. Well, as soon as they want to make any changes to their application, they're going to be screwed because now they're going to have to hire a developer to spend hours and hours making all the changes where they could have gone and done it in five minutes. Hey, why right? don't we just take it a step further and say that the export isn't just an option. It's basically the main thing. I mean, that's the only thing that this is about. So the version, the version that you have online, it, it's mm-hmm, just the design right. mode, just the designer. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of, I mean, you can run it. Well, see, the thing is that you want to be able to run, at the very least, a development version. You don't want to have to, like, well, not be able to run your application unless it's, you go and you set up a, a web server somewhere or install it. You want to be able to design it, change it, you know, edit it, go use it in, in live mode. But the way I'm seeing it right now is that the development version is online. Yeah. And what I might do is just limit that. Say, like, you know, you, can ha- you can't have more than, say, 1,000 or 5,000 rows in a, in a table or something, and you can't have more than, you know, 20 or maybe, maybe up to, like, 100 users. Something simple. Say, this is a development version. This is your, where you can run your beta version on. But as soon as you're going to go live and you're going to production, don't run it on App Ignite because I'm not guaranteeing you anything, right? This is, this is development version. Now, maybe in a year from now, six months, a year, year and a half, if App Ignite reaches some level of success where I can develop a platform for, that will host production-level systems and I can guarantee people a certain amount of administrative sophistication and support, then, then that, might, that might be a whole different service. So if you want to run this application on you know, our platform and our administrators, maintain, you know, we'll, we'll make sure your databases are, is, are doing well and the web servers are fine and load balancing. But I don't want, I'm not at the point now where I could, promise that kind of thing right i think it's great and it's it's almost like uh you've kind of stumbled into something that's very very high value for the customer purely because of the fact that it's kind of well not obviously you stumbled it because this this guy has asked for it but it's just great to stumble into this and it really helps you out in terms of minimal minimum viable product as well yeah yeah you know we've because we've had a number of conversations about this of whether you should be able to export it or not export it. Yeah. i mean we were talking to rob walling a while back and he was saying Oh man, you know that sounds like a support nightmare, right? But then, you know, when I was talking to um, uh, Taylor, who's a designer, about the idea of, of 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 exporting the app, like that, that the only way you could use an app is by exporting it. And he was like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "I don't want to do that." You know, I don't want to have to go and set up a website. I just want to be able to edit and in place, which would be my reaction too. I would want both. I would not want to have to jump through a bunch of hoops just to use it and experiment and build, build a site. Mm-hmm. But then I would not want to be locked in. So if I, if I want to go and I want to write, I'm going to hook into custom databases, I want to write some bunch of custom code, I want to, you know... But it's a kind of service. a classic case yeah. of like talking to a customer and finding out what they want versus what you think people want. Well, we knew this. These are things that I knew were going to be important, right? Um, yeah, but this we didn't like, know that didn't... it was going to be the be-all and end-all for like a major, you know, account that could bring in thousands of dollars kind of thing. 
No, you know, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about this. I think if you go back to the podcast, I mean, I think that I thought I always thought this was going to be an important thing. I mean, I was, you never know what your first customer is, what their, what their hot buttons are going to be. Um, but you're right. I mean, yeah, it's important to talk to a real customer because they're the only ones that are going to pay you yeah. and you want to get them what they want first. So the two things that he said they needed out of the gate, he's like, you know, everything else is fine. It's more than we need. I need to be able to export it so we can run an internal server and we need email notifications. So, which is basically how simple workflow works in these enterprise apps. You know, like you, you know, you submit a, you know, let's say a, you submit a form or you, you know, some X, Y, and Z happens and email gets generated. Well, why don't you, um, for the email stuff, I mean, you, you don't need to take that on, just use um, elastic email. Or something well, like that's, that. I mean, well, that's that's fine, but that's just sending the email. You have to figure out, like, well, you have to allow the user to define what email is sent to who and under what conditions. Oh, oh, I see, I see. So basically, I, I thought that that was already kind of dealt with. Once every 24 hours, if there are more than X many records of this type created, then email gets sent to this email address. Okay, so, so kind of flags and alerts. <laughs> exactly. So you need to come up with some filters and alerts, something like that. And um, so... So I've been working on the uh, guy, and I've been working on the guy on the uh, exporting, and we and we were just experimenting with it on on we exported it. So what it does is it zips up the uh, the directory along with the schema file, and it has and, and it creates like an install a series of install files like PHP scripts. Yeah, and then it does like an and then you will just basically, um, you know, you it, the, the the zip file is down, automatically downloaded. So you just open that up and co- and, and copy the contents of that to your root directory of your website and then you just run the install.php and it does like a three a two step thing where just you know you type in the user and host of your MySQL and then you uh, give yourself an administrative username password and then boom you're good to go that's awesome so it's kind of like you know what I was looking at because I was thinking about like how WordPress how you install WordPress yeah right I was like if people can install WordPress and people clearly can by going through the wizard then you know, my first version will be, you know, at least as easy to install as WordPress. So w- the, w- WordPress has this like automatic update thing where mm-hmm. basically they will pull down the new version from your install. That w- and that's what I was thinking of too, yeah. is like rather than having you zip up, like let's say that you go and you, you know, you do, you go back to App Ignite and you design some new stuff rather than have to export as a zip and copy the stuff over. I'd rather you just go to the, into the administrative, login as administrator and go to upgrade and it will pull over all the latest versions and run the migrations. Yeah, yeah I think perfect. that would be the easiest thing to do. And, and, and not difficult to do, not difficult. I mean, the, to be honest, the, the, the hardest part about that, and that's not even hard, is just to make sure it's uh, rock solid in terms of security. Right, right. Because yeah. I guess so you'll have to go neat. through HTTPS, right? For that. <sighs> I guess, I, you know, I have really thought about it. Well, you would, you know, I mean, you, would. you pretty much would have to, because if you've got, if you've got these guys, I mean, thinking, you know, think about it, right? The reason why they want to run it online locally is because, because of the whole security thing. So you yeah. definitely would need to pipe any new um, source code through a kind of pretty high level SSL stuff. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's the latest with uh, App Ignite. That's great. So trying to get that, you know, so, well done. Right before we started the podcast, uh, you know, Guy was trying to install it on his Ubuntu, you know, installation on his home. He has a server, it's a, a Linux server running at his house, and so he's trying to install it. And you know, well, once that works, then what I'll do is maybe just contact Ruben and say, "Hey, let's just try to do a simple install. See if you see if it'll work for you." Cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, so one thing that um, 
we talked a little bit about the other day, but I thought would be really kind of interesting to get more into is we're talking about your childhood a little bit (laughs) and right. You're specifically what happened with your education. You want to get into that right now. You want to wait? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, go on. Let's, let's, let's leave that a little bit longer. Let's talk about Plugio first. Okay. So I'm so happy with, uh, with business in general, my business life right now. Because the, the company that I work for, Vibo, have created this product, freepricealerts.com. And right. that is really taking off and it's just awesome. Um, so we've been working on that pretty hard for a year and now it's just, you know, it's a lot of people... Free price alerts? Yeah, freepricealerts.com. Well, you haven't been working on free price alerts Well, well it's, it's, it's essentially um, a little bit of a cannibalization of some of the other projects that we've been working on. So, I mean, I've been working on my Vibo for a year and we've been working on different stuff, but free price alerts is what we've ended up with from I think two pivots and uh, it's just really proving to be something that's taking off, which is great. You know, cause you, cause you didn't show, you showed me the first version of pre free price alerts. Like, I don't know, like two months ago at most you wrote some, some like, um, like they were Firefox and a Firefox extension or something that you wrote. Did I, I that must've been more than two months ago. God, was it? Has, has, know, has, is startup time that can that fast? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe well, it, maybe it was longer ago, but it doesn't seem like it could have been more than three well, months so, ago. So I was. We've been working on uh, Vibo for the past year, and at, at some stage during that time, we we pivoted to free price alerts. I I can't believe that we've done all of that within the last two months. No, it must be maybe longer. maybe it's three or four months. But it, I mean, it can be longer <laughs> yeah. than that. Okay. Well, so. still, I mean, basically, as I said, I mean. Uh, it, it's it's also based on you know cam- cannibalization of previous previous work of the overall okay. platform, but anyway, it's just it's a consumer thing and it's just really going out there. And what happens is uh, people install this this tool into their extension. It's like a one click install, just takes it just takes like ten seconds. And then from that point forward, as you're browsing around the web, if you ever hit a page that has a product on it, it will hit the server and see if it finds that product cheaper on any other site, and right. give you a little alert in your browser, and it just. It just works so well, you know. So I'm happy with that. So it's, you said it's starting to take off, or is it you getting? Is it getting? Is the growth going exponential? Uh, I th- well, the growth. I mean, I don't. I don't want to talk about the growth too much because obviously it's, um, you know, it, it's it's confidential. But I'm I'm just happy with what the team's done, and I'm happy with the way that 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 project's going. Right, really happy with that. And then uh, from my own point of view, Plugio, all the the rework that we've done with Plugio, and the kind of attention to marketing and all that stuff. Um, is looking very, very hopeful. Um, basically, I've seen a, f- a 41% increase. <laughs> it's in- 41% increase of what? Well, so basically, uh, I've got some stats that I'm going to put on the blog so people can kind of have a look through this and see. And I've sent those, blacks to, uh, those stats to you as well in the mail. But basically, okay. um, it looks like it's made a, 400, a $400 growth uh, from one month to the next. So, because oh, you were making roughly a thousand dollars a month well, I, revenue. Well, the thing about my my the revenue figures that I've been reporting is they've been slightly mixed up because I've always been reporting people who buy a year in advance with with those yeah. figures. So now I've got the stat system to just ignore that and just focus okay. on the monthly revenue. So okay. basically, in December two thousand ten, I had eighty seven transactions with a total revenue of eight hundred and nineteen dollars. Okay. And it's pretty much been like that, but kind of, if you can imagine stepping down by maybe five transactions per month for the previous year. So it's kind okay. of like starting off at like 70 transactions and then to go to 75, then 80, whatever. Right. Okay. So this now will be, ta- should in theory be taking it up to something like 
130 transactions. <laughs> wow. Um, revenue moving from 819 to 1,400. That's great. That is great. Which is kind of awesome. That is. So we'll talk us through the changes and just summarize them for us because, you know, we've got, you've made some, you did a f- number of things. So, well, so I redesigned the site. Um, okay. I made the homepage work so that there really is only one course of action that you can take off from the homepage, which is click the watch, watch the video. And then that takes okay. you into um, the product tour. And then there's case studies, social proof. And then I've also put um, a squeeze, like when you hit the homepage, there's like a pop-up box. And that pop-up okay. box says, enter your email and we will send you a free five-day email course about how to grow your following on Twitter with Plugio. Okay. So kind of capture their emails, set them up with that drip campaign. And I also added another ca- another a campaign, which is basically like a, a Twitter stats monitoring system. So every every week it'll send you an email with how your you know how your following is growing. All you do is you just okay. enter your email address and your Twitter name. So it's kind of two two drip campaigns to just um, try and keep keeping people's consciousness because the kind of the key things about marketing are you know you've got to keep in people's consciousness. You've got to find new customers and you've got to show them what you can do for them. And that's, those three things are what I've really been focusing on. Um, no, what kind of A-B testing have you done to determine whether <laughs> what you're doing is None. optimal? <laughs> I haven't okay, got into is... any optimization yet. All I've done is I've just been doing kind of common sense uh, things. And I've been really focusing on my man on a wire theory, which I haven't really kind of gone into in that much detail. I, I think I've explained it to you once before and I really want to do a blog. I think it's so important. Okay. Um, so, so the man on a wire theory is that it's, it's comes back to that movie man on a wire. It's like this guy who tightrope walks across uh, the world trade centers and right. the way that they do it is they send two teams up and one team, because obviously to <laughs> tightrope walk across the world trade center, you have to have a thick iron cable, right? So right. how, how do they do that? How do they make that happen? Well, the way they make that happen is one team goes up and they have a bow and arrow and they have the, the thick cable and the other team goes on the other side. And the first, the first arrow that he, they shoot across just has a very thin thread. So think okay. about this. You shoot this arrow, goes across the World Trade Center. The guy on the other side catches it and then pulls that thin thread. He catches an arrow? Well, he, he, fight, he gets the arrow that lands on the ground. He doesn't okay. catch it, right? <laughs> that would be impressive. That would be almost <laughs> as impressive as the guy walking across. In the yeah, right. So he, he, gra- he grabs the arrow that lands on the ground. He then okay. pulls that across. There's a little bit of thin, thin thread. And then they attach a little bit of thicker thread to that. They attach a little bit of thicker thread to that. It goes all the way until it's like a thick piece of cable. And that concept, I re- I've realized, is such an important concept. And it's pretty much what, if you apply that concept to your entire website, it makes all the difference in the world. So, for example, if you go to the, the plugio.com homepage, the, the kind of shooting the arrow is that blue button, right? Okay. You've just got to grab someone with that blue button. You've got to get them to do the first action got to catch their attention. So then you've caught their attention, they've clicked the blue button. So now you've kind of handed them the little thin piece of thread. So then they go right. to the page to start reading about the product and you try and guide them through. You want to keep them as long as possible so that you can feed them thicker and thicker pieces of thread. And then you, th- you throw a pop-up that says, hey, give us your email address. So now you're giving them a little piece of rope, right? So you just kind of keep bringing them in and kind of reeling them in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, up in the ante a little bit, yeah. a little bit more. 
Well, I mean, it's it's plausible. Uh, ultimately, when uh, ultimately when you have time, it'd be interesting to test it and see if this theory is right. You know, it's like a lot of hypotheses are plausible; they make sense. I mean, if hypotheses did make sense, people wouldn't bother testing them. You know, I'm talking about even scientific hypotheses, right? right? And and this is sort of a business hypothesis. So, you know, they it makes sense. It's just you know. It, it would probably be worth testing. But you can think about point. this this same concept uh, as a fractal for every aspect of your business and every aspect of the site. So, for example, when someone hits a page, if you think about it from a UI perspective, you've got to you've got to draw their eyes around the page in the exact way that you want. And so that's the same thing. You're at the very first thing you want to capture their eyes to the right place, and that's like where the arrow hits. And then you're going mm-hmm. to drag their eyes to the next part, to the next part, to the next part. And then it's the same thing with text. Right, So when you write a piece of text or a piece of copy, it's the same deal. You want them to read the first sentence, but then you want them to be intrigued enough to read the second sentence and then intrigued enough to read the third sentence. So pretty much everything you do, you can apply this man on a wire theory to and just keep kind of reeling people in. Okay, so right, right. Okay, so I get it. So, but, so it sounds like you've spent most of your effort has been reworking what you would term the user journey for, the, for new customers. Potential new customers, right? Yes, that's been the bulk of your work, and that's and that's is that what you attribute you? That's been the, the bulk of my work, and what I've thought I've I've looked at every touch point where they where they would have arrived to the site, everything that they've done, and I've thought what is the max the most effective thing that I could do to make them do the next thing I want them to do. Right. So to just keep on pulling in that wire. Now you also change your pricing. Has that affected the revenue? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the weird thing is is that the price point is seems to be the important thing with Plugio. The, it like actually the price point really matters because I've I've upped the pricing, but um, now the the nine ninety five price point now only is associated with one Twitter account. Before okay. the nine ninety five price point was associated with five Twitter accounts. Okay. So before everyone signed up for the for the nine ninety five price point and got five Twitter accounts. Now right. everyone signs up for the nine ninety five price point and gets one Twitter account. <laughs> and you're, so your 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 speculation is that people don't care so much about more Twitter accounts is that they just want to pay as little as they can for Plugio on one Twitter well, account. No, is that what you're thinking? I, I don't know because before it was like seven ninety five for two Twitter accounts, nine ninety five for five Twitter accounts. Right. Now it's nine ninety five for one Twitter account, nineteen ninety five for five. So you know. There was an article I read recently called A-B Testing Your Pricing yeah. Plans. Did you read that? Yeah, it's, it, the problem is it's so, so difficult to do that. I mean, and, and to really A-B test your pricing t- plans and kind of keep that plan hooked to that one person until the point they actually sign up, it's, it's like it's much easier said than done. Yeah, it does sound like it would take a lot of time. And, and you, of course, now you could be very careful with, with changing your prices because you can't show the same plan for two with two different for two different prices to two different people that's that's illegal right i mean that's what they were talking that's what they were talking about in the article you can't do that oh okay well i i don't i you wouldn't know? even want to do that no no i'm not suggesting you would i'm just saying that even it, so so if you if you have two if you have the same pricing plan and you show it to different people coming from different search terms or from different landing pages and you show them different prices that's illegal interesting and if you if you actually just make them the same except for some time any little differences that would be that would be potentially illegal, right? Because it's just like okay, ones you know has one 
you know, kilobyte more of memory storage or something, you know. It's well, I like, was thinking of doing it like thing. on a month by month basis. So trying different prices over months. But actually what I, I've kind of held back from bringing the prices down because what I'm thinking is that this could be the sweet spot for me because now I'm in a scenario where I can, I can for the higher plans, I can actually do cut price offers and kind of scarcity offers. So I could basically say, look, if you sign up to this plan within the next few days, you can have it for like 25 or 50% off. Right. You see what I'm saying? So I think I'd rather go, go down that route and see what kind of conversions that creates rather than just all of a sudden sweepingly change all of the price points. Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing is as long as you grandfather people in yeah. to prices that you establish prices that they've paid, that's, that's, you know, that's important and that you keep experimenting, you know, that you don't just assume that something is, is, is the right or the best way. You just, you kind of have to keep testing um, the, until you get there. Okay. So the, the really big surprise for me and the kind of what I'm very happy with is that driving people through PayPal, um, to, to get the 30-day free trial, I, I was kind of told that it would be about 50% churn rate for those people. But what I'm seeing so far is it's more like a 30% churn rate, which is pretty awesome. That sounds better than 50. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's great considering that, put it this way, um, in December, I had seven people sign up via PayPal to a subscription, okay. right? In January, I had 54 Wow. <laughs> so that's pretty different, right? <laughs> that's significant. Yeah, that's significant. Are you doing anything else to attract customers? I'm just doing two I'm just doing two marketing campaigns right now because I don't have a way to correctly track those marketing campaigns. I know that they're working, but I don't know exactly the the kind of inner details of, of how or why they're working. One of them is um well I, I created a page on justinvincent.com which is basically uh how to make the most out of Twitter in five minutes a day. So I have that page and I know that that converts people to sign up to Plugio. So what I do is I drive people to that page from StumbledUpon and also from Google AdSense. I don't know exactly where I'm getting the best value from, from StumbledUpon or from Google AdSense. I'm only spending five bucks a day on each. <laughs> so um, well, I need to right, kind of right. think about how to track someone going from AdWords to justinvincent.com to Plugio.com and then seeing whether they sign up. Okay, now you have a super secret project that's related to this issue. I do. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, which I thought was good. I mean, you, you've, you've thrown a lot of ideas at me over the past year and a half, some which are better than others. This is probably... <laughs> some which are shit. I mean, better than others. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I, I think this is one of my favorites because of its um, the value they can add and simplicity. And, I mean, you know, it's just a very clear value proposition. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the kind of thing that people will pay for because it will save them time, make them money, all those kinds of things. Um, and it's something that I think you could do in a reasonably short amount of time. So are you pushing on this new super secret project? Definitely. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about that. And, and that will just help. It will help with Plugio as well. I mean, it's, it's a case of scratch your own itch. Well, that's cool. What, what, what's your timing on that? Is it something that's like months out or something that's... I'm, I'm hoping think that something? we could get something out the door in maybe three months. <sighs> yeah. Well, consider how long it takes it's taken me to get uh, Apignite out. That's like super fast. So did you, uh -huh. did you read through any of that stuff that Amy Hoy sent? I haven't had a chance. I haven't had a chance to. I, I'm excited to, but I haven't had a chance to. So, so Amy Hoy, for listeners, uh, Amy Hoy sent us um, the, the, her course 
the, the, the basically, what is it, 500 by 30 or is it 30 by 500? Basically, it's mm. like you can get, you, you can either get 500 customers who pay you 30 bucks a month or 30 customers who pay you 500 bucks a month and you'll be earning yeah. a decent amount. So it's, I, I've been reading through just some of it, but I just want to just talk about the very first thing, which is she's just really big on the fact that an idea isn't anything. Like, like basically don't, don't be controlled by an idea. Just, just kind of when you start your business, find your audience. Don't think of an idea. So build everything from your audience up, which I thought was just interesting. I think, I think ideas are important. We've talked about this. Ideas are important, but the problem is people get too caught up in ideas. And so she's, because people have a natural tendency to overweight ideas, to become fixated in idea, to have this, they're so, um, they're so, um, obsessed with an idea. They don't want to share it with anybody. They don't, they, that they keep, it sort of becomes debilitating and she's attempting to liberate people from that, um, problem. And, and the best way to do it is just don't worry about, it. cause even if she says, don't worry about ideas as ideas aren't important, people are still going to worry about them to some degree. And that, that might strike the right balance. <laughs> Right? right. I don't think she would believe that ideas are unimportant. She just believes that she has to do everything she can to dissuade people from from staying um, obsessed with an idea. Well, she, she like she talks about how an idea will make you its bitch. <laughs> and she's right. I mean, you know, it's like it, it, she's right. I mean, it's it's one of those things that an idea ideas can just take over your every your every emotional. It's just they're very powerful. And if you think you've come up with a great idea, and I'm sure you've it's happened to you. It's happened to me. It's happened to friends of ours. And, and, and they think they're, they've convinced themselves that it's a world beater. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's just yet another idea. It, it might be good, you know, it's just, but, but what's more important is uh, than any of that is just executing and, and, and essentially by executing, you test the idea out to some well, degree. Well, what she's right? saying is don't even have an idea, right? <laughs> don't even have an idea. Have an audience. Have an audience and find a need. And just that's the only thing you focus on. So focus on finding a bunch of people who you like. That bunch of people, uh, I, I don't even know. I mean, should I say this? I mean, am I giving away her course? Is that bad? No, no. I mean, look, this is only one. Um, it's only one little part of it, right? It's one little element of it. And you know, these are the kind of, well, these are the kind of things she. And it's pretty much what she, what she was saying on the show anyway. Yeah, these are the kind of things that she talked about in the interview. Yeah. I mean, I think if somebody you know, is looking to anyone who's looking to do a startup and um, is intrigued by her ideas would, would it, it would be worth taking her course. Yeah. Oh, totally. Just by talking to her, yeah. reading through the stuff on her website, getting a sense of it. I mean, I, I get the impression that it would be a really good payoff. Well, I think it's also the, it's also because you're part of a team as well. So you're part of a team and it's a little bit mastermindy, but anyway, I, well, hold, hold a sec. I mean, one of the reasons that we've talked about why, that we're able to push forward on our respective projects. I mean, how have I been able to stay on App Ignite for as long as I have and make such progress? Part of it is because we talk about it week in and week out, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's pushing me forward. I'm, I'm being held accountable. So even if I've taken this huge thing, I have to ultimately deliver on it, right? Yeah. And you've talked about why Plugio is succeeding to the degree it is and why you've made, you were able to launch Swarm and stuff is that because of the podcast, because you and I and our listeners have sort of an aggregate created this sort of pseudo mastermind group. Um, and uh, I think that for people who are sort of out there on their own and maybe they have one or two friends that they talk about their ideas with, that may or not be enough. 
and having like a sort of mentored course to help you push through it might be the... But, um, but think about it. <clears throat> I mean, how much easier, like in, in many ways, we are incredibly lucky. I feel very lucky that Plugio actually <laughs> has an audience. I mean, it, like if, if, you, if you actually think about it, if you approach it from the audience first rather than the idea, it's actually a million times easier. Everything is easier. Like, because we are kind of, because I created Plugio and I kind of thought, oh, this is what people want. And I put it out there and I was kind of lucky that a few people used it. It wasn't until I actually went and spoke to those people and then found out, oh, those are the people who are actually using it. That's what they're actually using it for. Essentially, that's where I'm finding my audience, right? That's the point. Yeah. So I could, I could have like saved myself a year if I'd have just gone out and found the audience in the first place. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I, she makes a really good point. I mean, that's why they, there's always the advice to go out and to start blogging, right? Yeah. Create a blog about the stuff that you're generally interested in that you generally would create uh, a product for, right? And if you create, if you have five or 10,000 readers, then all of a sudden you, you have a receptive audience to something that you might create for that space. But then rather than if you just created something and you had like 10 people on your who read your blog, you know, good luck. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's way easier. Um, speaking of, of um, blogging, or at least do you want to talk any more about this? Because I was going to switch this. No, no, I bit. think it's good. Good time. So now I can't, I can't go into detail. I have to be vague about this for the time being because the subject of the topic asked, requested that I not bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up just in, in, in the abstract. Okay. So a friend of mine who is an expert in a field um, <laughs> and is interested in, um, getting in, in, in pursuing some, potentially pursuing some opportunities in that field, um, you know, I, I had suggested that he start blogging on the subject, right? Because he has no public face whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. But he really knows a lot about this one field. And I said, listen, and I, I, I spent at least two or three conversations for like a half hour going over and over and over why he needed to start a blog and build authority on this subject. And that if he did that, people would come to him. As I create a center of gravity, establish your authority by writing detailed posts on this subject, and um, you will no longer be someone on a list applying for jobs. You'll be yet another person who's applying for this position. What was his, his objections when you first... Because you, you said you spoke to him like three or four times about it. What were his objections originally? Nothing. It was just sort of like, um, oh, you know, just, just sort of uncertainty. Just like, really, should I? Or would it really work? Okay, you so, you just, so you just really needed to push the idea home. I laid into him hard about three, um, <laughs> three different occasions. I mean, you know how I can get, right? I go <laughs> right. on for like an hour. Like, look, here's what you want to do. And you want to do this, you want to do this, you want to do this. And this is why it's going to work. And, and I went on and on and on. And uh, finally, after our last conversation, I tend to call him when I'm at the park with the kids. <laughs> right. you know, and, the kid, and the kids are otherwise occupied you know, doing something. And I was like, all right, I got a few minutes and I'll, I'll give him a call and see how he's doing. And, um, and so I said, so I, I really gave him the push and I said, just go set up on blogger. It doesn't matter and do it. And sure enough, he gets, you know, he doesn't ring the bell on hacker news, but he comes close and he writes, and he's written a few posts and now all of a sudden he's being contacted by <laughs> people in the field, recruiters, <laughs> the companies that would interest him. I'm like, I'm like, it's like magic. <laughs> awesome. I'm like, I'm like, it was like the AT was a Hannibal. It was like, I love it when a plan comes together. You know? <laughs> so I was really psyched for him. I'm really, I'm really, and I'm, and I'm and maybe at some point when all this all plays out, 
we'll get him on the show and he can talk about it. But um, it's and amazing. He'd be good on the show as well because he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's a funny guy, smart guy. Um, he's he, yeah, he knows his stuff, and um, and uh, it would be great to have him on. I'm re- I'm just as his friend, I'm just real excited for him. Right? I mean, I I want him to be happy, and I want him to do. Um, it's, I want him to be doing exactly what he wants to do, and I know that this is the path to get there. And I think the only way in life to get your true market value is to create a market for yourself. And the way you create a market for yourself is you give, if you create a public persona, public brand, and you establish your authority publicly so a lot of people are aware of what you know and what you've done and what you can do, right, mm-hmm. and what you want to do. And if that's the case, you'll get the, the, the opportunities that you're most excited about will be presented to you. But if nobody knows who you are, no one knows what your skill sets are, and you try and boil down everything that all the value you can deliver to a piece of paper or a resume and hand it to somebody... I mean, that doesn't convey anything. Yeah, but you're also increasing, increasing your luck surface area, which is so important. Same thing, right? So your luck surface area is increasing sort of your market value, right? So it's like, it's like when we sold, um, when I sold my 300ZX, I should say Sandy sold it, really. <laughs> I didn't do it. So, you know, if, if, in order to get the best price, you know, she put a really good, ad, an, an in-depth um, description and ad on car, was it like cars.com or those things? And she did one on Craigslist. And, and then rather than just selling to the first person that came by and negotiating with them, we just said, make your best offer and we'll pick, you know, we'll pick the best offer on Saturday night. And that worked because first everyone's lowballing us. Everyone's going out 2,500, 2,700. And our offer price was 4,500. This is like, you know, this is like a 1992, 300ZX, you know, and we were like, oh, I hope we get at least 3,500. And we ended up selling for five um, because uh, we created a market. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody had to sort of bid against each other. And the same thing for this friend of mine. It's like he's going to create a market for himself. What you do is get on the web and, and write a bunch of blog posts talking about his experience, talk, you know, talking about his, uh, you know, essentially demonstrating his expertise and writing tutorials and explanations of all these things that people are, are, don't necessarily understand that well. And then people will come to him and then he can pick and choose exactly what route he wants now, to take now there is a downside to that and i think we should talk about that and, and that's something that okay. you've just experienced recently which is that when when a lot of a lot of that stuff comes your way you can take on more than you can chew uh, because you get excited yeah. by a lot of stuff and you may commit to a, a, a lot more projects and then at some point you're going to have to cut some of those projects so that's what i wanted to talk to you about yeah that's that goes into our next um topic so um yeah well anyway just to finish up the recap on this one i mean and i've talked about this before about the best way to establish your authority is just to write a series of tutorials on some subject um and and you you'll you'll build up center of gravity right you'll be the go-to person on this and next thing you know you'll be in you know you'll be invited to speak at conferences and people are going to want you to come work for them or they're going to want to fund you or they're going to want you to co-found a company with them or something but you can be an expert and if you don't tell anyone about it you don't tell anyone on the web about it, you don't make enough noise about it, then no one's going to know. And, and, and the great equalizer these days is, is Hacker News because at least in the fields that we're interested in, the sort of in the technology fields and, and the re- in related fields, is that you don't have to have a pre-existing blog of like 50,000 readers or something that took you five years to build up. I mean, you can go and spend six or seven hours crafting a really interesting article and you have a good shot of that thing getting on the front page of Hacker News and get tens of thousands of people. And, you know, maybe not every post will make it, but if you do, if you spend anywhere from like, say, three to five hours on 10 different posts over, over a month, 
or two, and uh, a fair number of those will hit the front page, and the, and that will pull people to you. People will become aware of your expertise and your author- and, and therefore you will establish your authority on a subject. Mm-hmm. Good. Anyway, good. So, so, <clears throat> so you had too much too much work, and you had to cut some work. What happened? Yeah, so this is something I'm really kind of, uh, I feel really bad about. And I really am frustrated about because I, I kind of had to make a tough call on this. So, you know, I wasn't even sure I should talk about it publicly, but I might as well. It doesn't really matter. Um, so a guest we had on the show, David Fogel, who, um, who created a, uh, he wrote a book called Blondie 24 about how he and his postdoc grad student um, created a... Um, Grandmaster level evolved a grandmaster level checkers playing algorithm, and um, uh, and we David and I exchanged some emails after the um, after the podcast interview, and it just turned out that they were. I don't think you should. Some, I don't think you should say what anything about the project. I just think you should. Okay, say, I won't say the field, I just think okay, you should say that you've you've got involved to do a little bit of work with them. Yeah, let's yes yeah, say that. So they do they do um, work in a variety of different fields. Uh, using artificial intelligence, and I have a background, you know, in in, the, in that area. And then obviously, I write code. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm a freelance. I, you know, I work as a freelancer. So if you guys ever need any help, um, you know, let me know. I'd be, it'd be really, I'd love to work with you. Um, you know, we kind of just changed some emails, and 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 eventually, after a few months later, a few months went by. I think, I, I guess that's about much time. As much time has passed, and he he got in contact with me and said, Hey, yeah, we're, we'd like to talk to you about doing something. And I was really looking to do consulting work, right? Because I was already working. Epic night was my side project, right? My, the thing that was along with texting, the two things that Epic night and texting were taking up a lot of my free time and every, everything else I was doing was really to, to make an income, you know, mm-hmm. and pay the bills. And, um, when I was exchanging emails with him, I had gone to, I gone through a period where I didn't have a whole lot of consulting work. So I was like triple booked in the spring and summer of last year. And then the fall, it just fell flat dead. I had like almost nothing coming in. And when he contacted me, um, initially I thought he was contacting me about doing some, helping at writing some code for him, you know? And, and, and that's like, you know, it'd be great to get paid as a consultant to write code on some AI based projects. Right. I'm thinking that would be really, you know, get paid in, be able to work with this really cool guy who's an expert in this field on some fun stuff. But it really wasn't that. It was more along the lines of, you know, I would get some back end payoff mm-hmm. from the, you know, if, if, in, and nothing on the front end. And I was sort of hesitant, but I was like, yeah, you know, okay, maybe I could, I could maybe put in 10 hours a week on it. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And so um, I started working on it and it evolved a little bit because I, my understanding still was that I was just going to be writing code on the subject, right? And that my, my experience and knowledge of AI would allow me to help, you know, he would be, it would be much easier for us to communicate because he said, oh, write a, you know, evolutionary neural net that does X, Y, and Z, and I could just do it, right? It's not like if he was talking to a normal coder who didn't know anything about it, it would be a, a big learning curve for them. Mm-hmm. But it was much more along the lines of, I was sort of like, like if I was like a PhD student, right? And here's an, an, a problem that he had that he wanted solved that he, that he thought was interesting and thought would be a good subject matter for me to work on. And that he would kind of advise and mentor me on it, and then I would work on it, and you know, we would sort of share in the fruits of of it if it succeeded, right? Yeah. And at first, I, I didn't quite get that. I, it didn't occur to me I, there was there was just a miscommunication about what, what, what was really going on. So I was I was all of a sudden doing a lot of work that didn't have anything to do with coding that had a lot to do with like a lot of 
a lot of data stuff. And I was like, ah, what is going on? Am I doing all this? You know, who else is helping out with this? And I was getting a little frustrated because I was just like, you know, I mean, I just, I just, I didn't understand the context. And so we sorted that out and I was like, okay, fine. I understand what you're expecting and what you need. And all right, I guess I can do that. But what I just noticed was that I was spending a lot of time in this and I didn't have that much time to spend on it. Right. I was falling behind on my consulting projects big time because I, I just didn't have time. I, I mean, you know, but I had, you, I, 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 you had a, the problem was you, you have a lot of respect for, for the David and, you, you, I did. Don't, I, you didn't want to let him down after making a kind of promise. <laughs> well, I noticed, well, you know, it's, it wasn't so much a promise is that someone says, hey, do you want to work on this? And you're like, yeah, right? I said, I'll, I'll, you, you, you work on it. I wasn't like, you know, it, it was less than a promise, but, you know, you, when, when someone asks you, do you want to work on a project with them and you agree, then you, you've kind of committed to something, yeah. right? And I'm not someone who, who tends to like pull out of things, you know? I'm, that's not, I usually the person who goes down with the ship you know, so to speak. Well, as, and, as, as can be witnessed to you working on Epic Night for the past three years. Yeah, well, not three years. But it's, it's not, <laughs> oh, by the way, that was a bad analogy because it's not going down. It's going up. Right, but you know, we just stick on things. I don't yeah. just like give up and, you know, um, and I have some funny stories about that, but the, the gist of it is, is that, you know, he's, I have a lot of respect for him professionally and I really like him personally. And, and I, but right away I could see him like, oh, I shouldn't have got involved in this. This is more work than I, I have time for. Right. And I kept thinking, you know, I'm just going to have to reach a stopping point and, uh, and then try. Well, Cause and, you and called just, me a couple of times to talk about it and you were like, well, what should I do? Should I keep, should I keep going with this? I, it's, it's, it's too much work. I've got so much other stuff on my plate. And, uh, well, yeah. you, you kind of made the decision, I think like two or three times. Nope. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, I don't want to break my bonds. I don't want to break my word. I'm going to keep going on this. Yeah, you know, and, and and then I and then it was just it just seemed obvious if anyone took was outside the situation and I said, "Okay, look, I got three paying consulting clients. I'm falling behind on all three of them. If I don't have income from these consulting clients, I am going to lose everything, right? Mm-hmm. Can't pay for mortgage, can't pay for anything, right? <laughs> so I have to put those first." And then he said, "Okay, well any time left over means I can't I'm working on this and I'm not working on Epic Night. And he says, well, you know, I've been working on Epic Night for a year and a half. It would be, and now it's finally coming to the point where people are interested in using it and I might be able to get my first customer. Yeah, and, and people really want you to get it out the door. Right, you know, and so if I said, well, I, can, I could have spent 10 hours this weekend working on Epic Night and made a huge push on it. Instead, I spent all this time on this speculative, on this other speculative project that I got involved with without really thinking it through. So what, I mean, what's, what's so the lesson I, for you? So the lesson is, well, okay, well, let me just tell you what happened. So I sent, I sent him an email on Sunday and I said, listen, I'm, you know, basically I'm really sorry, but I just don't have time for this. I just, you know, it's, it's, I just have too much on my plate and, um, you know, and I even said, look, I'll, you know, I said, I'll re we, we put a little bit, I mean, I was like $400 or something for some software license we had to use to get some data. Right. And I said, listen, how about I write you a check for half of it, <laughs> you know, but maybe I should just you know, write him, a, write him a check for all of it. I'll just reimburse him for all of it. Or, you know, I mean, I don't even care. I just, you know, I just don't want any hard feelings. I don't, I don't want him to be upset with me. I'm sure he's disappointed. But so I sent him that email on Sunday night, you know, and just tell him I really regret it, but I just, I gotta, I gotta pull out. But it's been like three days I've heard back from him, so he must be pretty upset with me. So, so you can have to... Uh... Send another email. I have to, well, I'm going to send out the email. I mean, sometimes I, you know, but it's like, it's like, it's one of those things like, you know, what, what's a hard decision? A hard decision is there's no easy out, right? There's, there's going to be pain in either way. 
And it's like, I couldn't, I could let my contract work fall aside. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I have a family, right? I have to pay the bills and I can't let, I can't, you know, if you looked at me a year later and you said, well, Jason, what happened to Epic Night? Let's just say Epic Night didn't work out a year later because I didn't spend much time on it. And like, well, I got involved in these other projects. And I got distracted. You'd think I was an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what are you doing? Right? You were so close. You're working this hard. A lot of people showed interest in it. And you didn't, you didn't carry the ball in the end zone. You spent all this time getting distracted with these other projects that, well, yeah, they're neat and they are interesting people to work with. But it's not what your primary goal is. You're getting distracted. But it's not the, fir- it's not the first time. I mean, there was another, another project, which I don't, don't want to get into too much, where that happened as well. So I guess what, right. I'm, what I'm wondering is, is are you going to do this anymore? <laughs> no, you're reco- I think, like a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's like it's the it's sort of the power and the pain of the word no. Yeah. Right? You have to be able to say the word no. And the problem is no is a painful word to say a lot of times especially because it disappoints people who you may like or respect, right? It 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 disappoints you you could be disappoint yourself because you want to do these other things too. You want to do everything. Mhm. Right. And, and if you're like, wow, cause I was thinking, you know, I have this opportunity to work with this world-class person and they won't, they actually want to work with me on this. Of course I'm going to say yes, but maybe that's not the best decision. I mean, sometimes you have too many good opportunities and you just have to pick, you can't say yes to all of them because you just, what you end up doing is you end up underperforming on all of them. Mm-hmm. And, and then everyone you're involved with starts looking at you like you're unreliable mm-hmm. and you're not a good partner. And that's worse. Definitely. You know, if I had been uh, a little smarter, if I'd made a better decision, I would have just, in that first conversation I had with David, say, you know, I'd love to work with you. Maybe at some point in the future, it turns out I just have too much on my plate. Instead, I said yes. And and then, you know, it wasn't like they spent a whole lot of time because really it was just me doing work, right? It was just encouraging emails from him saying, hey, you know, how are things going? You know, maybe we should focus on this. Maybe we should focus on that. It was mostly just all my work. I mean, the worst you could say is that, you know, it delayed them. If they wanted to get someone else to do the project, it might delay things a couple months. And, uh, you know, other than that, it didn't really do anything, but... Yeah, I mean, I did, from my perspective, I mean, just listening to the story, I mean, it doesn't feel to me like you should really be beating yourself up and like you've really, really let someone down in an absolutely massive way because it's not... It, 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 I mean, I don't want to belittle the, the other party's feelings, but it, it's not like... Um, the most essential thing that's going on for, for either you or for them, right? It's kind of speculative from both people's point of view. Yeah. And, and, you know, and for all I know, David will email me tomorrow, but he's been out of town. He's like, Hey, you know, and I'll get an email where he's like, you know, understand no problem, Okay, whatever. But anyway, regardless of his reaction to it, um, I just feel bad about it. Right. Cause yeah, I, cause I wanted to do it. And, and it's just, you know, and you just gotta, and I've just learned that it's, you know, there's the old Murphy's Law saying is most things are easier to get into than out of, you know, you get, you get so easy to say yes. And, um, I've had a number of people, I probably had three or four people who, after reading that, my big blog post on, um, Prezo, the whole Google acquisition thing, um, contacted me in regards to getting some kind of strategic partnership that would allow, you know, based on Prezo. And there were, couple people had some good ideas and, and they were pretty, they were heavyweights or at least they weren't lightweights. Right. I mean, they had, they were, they, they were people who had connections and money and et cetera. And I just had to say, no, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't get distracted right now. I had a, uh, when, when uh Plugio was first launched, it was getting quite a lot of press um, on Hacker News and other places. And I had quite a lot of offers like that, but it was always, 
the offers coming in were always the, the speculative offers. You know, come into come into partnership with me, and we'll do something together, and we'll make a lot of money together. And you do you do the work. And so what I did was I I put up a page <laughs> on Plugio that basically just said just like plugio.com forward slash partner. I don't even know if it's still there now, but I just sent anyone to that page and just said, look, I, I would really love to you know take on all these opportunities, but at the end of the day, it's about money, right? And I can't just go for every opportunity. So if you have a hundred thousand investment, then we can talk, <laughs> but, but otherwise yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. In fact, because when I initially was talking to David, it was, it was, it was from the perspective of doing freelance work for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I was chasing after. And it was just sort of like, and in, in the spur of the moment, in the in moment, or not spur of the moment, in, in the, in, in the middle of the conversation, I was just too easily, I just too easily said yes. Because I was, too, you know, and that's what happens, like cognitive biases, sort of like that sunk cost um, cognitive bias or, or whatever sunk cost logical fallacy. Because you feel like you put, yeah, that's the sunk cost fallacy, yeah. Yeah, you spend all this time, you know, even if it's just emailing and talking and establishing a relationship, establishing rapport and building trust, and then, no, okay, I'm just not going to do anything. It just, um, it's hard. It's hard to say no and not get involved. But, you know, I, I, it's just so important to focus your your time and your energy because you don't have much of it. And you're, and you know, if, if you, if you spread yourself too thin and you're, and you're too diffuse, you're just not going to make any progress. And I just noticed that I wasn't making near enough progress in Epic night the past month, because a lot of my Saturdays and Sundays, I was spending time doing all this really painful, tedious data stuff that was seeming, was seemingly getting nowhere. It was just, it was unending. And it really wasn't, to be honest with you, the kind of project that I wanted to do. Specifically, it, it kind of was of, of it was interesting, but not even that interesting, right? So I'm just like, why am I doing this? This is ah, yeah, you know. And so I just was like, screw it, you know, because I I, I had a couple of conversations about people, and I'm just like, I already I know what the right answer is. It's just painful. The right answer is I got to pull out of this project. All right, well, I think we've we've covered it, but uh, no, I know that's that's tough. That's very tough. But you've so I got another I got another um. You know what? Let's let's go. On, let's let's switch to you, and then I, I have a couple other interesting topics. Well, we've got so, we've, we've we've only got about twenty minutes left. I've 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 managed oh, to man. skillfully deflect because <laughs> oh, I know you're going to talk to me about that other deep stuff. So, well, okay. Before we get to deep stuff, I'll um, I will I'll talk a couple a couple of light things. All right. Quick. So, but shouldn't we end start? on? Shouldn't we? Sorry, I've interrupted. But shouldn't we? It end doesn't on the, matter. No, no, it's fine. Let's it's going to be depressing though. Right? No, it's not. Okay. Come on. So. Stargate Universe has been canceled. <laughs> That's depressing. Are you serious? No, it's. I actually knew this about a month ago, but I kept forgetting to bring. I kept meaning to bring it up in the show. I kept forgetting I to tell you. I cannot believe the Stargate Universe is canceled. It's like the yeah, best I, show. I, it's yeah, you know, it's the best sci-fi show I, now, except for maybe Fringe. Fringe is the best in Stargate Universe. Yeah, second, but, but why would it be canceled? I mean, like, you know, okay. So I I went on the web and I kind of read. To, about it to find out why okay by the way the rest of the season they, they shot the rest of the season so there's like another eight or 12 episodes they're gonna they're gonna start playing that'll finish out in the spring huh. but that's it um so i guess see the problem is is that they went to they, they went after something that was closer to sort of like battlestar galactica lost sort of intricate character driven like interesting intricate character driven plot yeah but they were playing it. The people who came to watch it were were existing Stargate fans, and the existing Stargate, the you know like Stargate Atlantis and SGU One or whatever. I mean, those were campier, funnier, lighter things. Yeah. 
this was this was darker, more intricate, more serious. You know, um, so there's just, like a brand the, crossover thing. It's like it's like. Uh, Google trying to do Google videos, which I've brought up before. <laughs> it's it was easier for them to to buy YouTube than it was for them to create a good Google video brand, right? I guess. I mean, I don't I don't, I don't know if I under, if I would if that analogy works for exactly this well, case. Because, but people, I, because basically, uh, let's put it this way: Georgie, right, my wife, because of pre- seeing previous um, Stargate stuff, would never consider something like Stargate Universe, but she loves Fringe. But I, I actually know she would love Stargate Universe if she just gave it the chance. But she won't give it a chance because of her prior opinion. She's seen the other Stargates exactly. and she's like, I'm not going to watch that silliness. Exactly. So, the, so basically, the original brand is too powerful. Yeah. Well, and the existing brand, because all these other Stargate fans came in and it wasn't like the previous Stargate shows. And they got disappointed. They were like, oh, what's this? It's too slow. It's too dark. These characters are too, you know, it's too... Um, I don't know, too, too plot character driven and not action, you know, f- you know, light action kind of stuff. So I think that, that was sort of the, the, um, the understanding I came to after reading some of the uh, discussions of why it was canceled. So that's kind of disappointing. But, so, I mean, in terms of like people, you know, numbers, like, was it just really, really low or was it? No, I don't, I think it, I think it, it peaked and it was going down a little bit. And, you know, I think sometimes they just, I mean, I don't have the, the numbers off right here in front of me, but it wasn't like it plummeted. Huh. You know, I think the, the the numbers were still pretty strong. I just don't think maybe they just didn't take off like they wanted. Or Talk, talking about uh, Fringe, I mean that show just gets better and better. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> it does get better. In fact, it started off, and I, I only rated it like a C plus. It was in my mind, it was like Lost meets X Files, which are two of my my two probably favorite dramas mm-hmm. of all time. Um, and but yet it was only executed at a C plus level. I felt I thought the characters weren't quite there. I thought some of the stuff was a little dumb at first and I was a little disappointed, but I wanted to like it cause I needed something to watch. <laughs> and so I stuck with it and then it slowly got better and it was like, ah, B minus B. Now I give it a solid B plus a minus. It's, it's good. It's good. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I like fringe. Fringe is good. I, I, I really like it. the way that you get into, you see each character be a different person <laughs> and get, the, get, get into their perspective from all these different perspectives. It's just, which is very, very much like Lost, right? It was, you know, Lost, like you know, because they would do those, those um, um, flashbacks and stuff, and then flash forwards. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was very much like that. But um, you know, his show, I started, you know, with the Roku. Now we have the Roku box. Oh, yeah. So one of the reasons I got it is because I wanted to watch the Battlestar Galactica series. And um, this weekend, um, <laughs> so it was a rainy Sunday, and so uh, Sandy, Sandy was out of town for the week. Uh, she, she had to go out of town for a conference and the girls, um, she dropped them with her mom. So I just had to watch Colby for like four or five days by myself. Mm-hmm. And after we got back from his soccer game on Sunday, it was all rainy. So I'm like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, Hey Colby, you want to watch Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> He's like, yeah, <laughs> Colby's six. <laughs> but he got into, we watched like two, we watched two in a row. I think after two, he had enough, but it was kind of funny. Just, you know, this rainy. What did you think of the show? I love it. I think it's really good. Battlestar Galactica is really good. I mean, I give it, um, I give it high rank, a ranking. I'd say an a, it's an A minus A. It's really good. Interesting. You know? So you'd rate it higher than French? Yeah, maybe ballpark. Maybe they're both like, buddy. I mean, they're both right in there at A minus. No, they're really good. I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, it's kind of things. It's whatever you're in the mood for. Yeah. You know, sometimes and it depends on the individual show. Um, you know, and, and I may like X Files better now than I did before. I don't know. 
it's hard to remember, but they're all good shows. I like them. So, um, so yeah, let's, I got, I got one more thing that I can talk about that's kind of more involved or we can talk about, well, your education. It's, I think it's either like or it? because we're, we're one hour 15. Well, that's okay. Let's see. It's a little, we go a little longer today cause we missed one on the weekend. All right. Okay. So let's first get into yours and then we'll go into mine. Okay. So Brace, and I'll, bracing and I'll myself. Say, yeah, I don't think, I think it's fine. So you had, let's say a non-traditional education as a child. Right? Yes. Things, things did not go very smoothly for some variety of reasons. And um, with it all culminating, you dropping out of high school at the age of what, 16? Pretty much. So you never, you dropped out of high school and never went to it, university. It, it sounds so, like when you say, like, I, I feel very embarrassed talking about being bullied as a kid, right? But, okay, well, we didn't get to that yet. You're jumping ahead. <laughs> well, but that, I mean, that's what it's all, that's what basically what it's all about. So at the end, at, so you were bullied. That's at, why. At the end of the day, yeah. I mean, when when I was a kid, but if if I if I was a kid with me, I would have bullied me. I mean, the, the thing <laughs> is, I know exactly why I was bullied, right? Because you look, were you were you looking in the mirror like trying to bully the guy in the mirror? Like, no, I, was just, at? I was just, I was just had all of those, all of those attributes that basically put a big target on your head that said bully me <laughs> please please so what what happened was you know i was just you know way 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 too sensitive and i was just you know really kind of trying to make friends kind of thing so so what happened was i i just hated school so much that i really didn't want to go and i was so uh let's say visceral in my complaining about it that i managed to skip quite a few probably uh, terms and, and semesters and years of school between the ages of like, you know, when, when you're kind of going to school between like five and 10 kind of thing. So when, when you're learning all that core stuff like maths, like your, your kind of maths tables, your multiplication tables, the months of, mm-hmm. the, months of the year, <laughs> right. all that core kind of stuff, I just never had, I was just never at school to learn that. <laughs> so. so, okay, so let's, let me understand this. So, you know, when you were, so basically I imagine you're five, you know, seven, eight years old. Is that what you're talking when this started? You said pretty much. Yeah. Cause like, cause that, then I went to, then I was sent to boarding school, um, at the age of nine. Okay. <laughs> you can see why, right? Because I was a, such a pain in the butt. <laughs> so they, they sent you to boarding school, but then you couldn't leave boarding school. Uh, well, I, I pretty much did, did try as hard as possible. Um, but ultimately I just, yeah, I mean, I just hated that environment as well so much. Um, that it was very difficult for me to get into the whole edu- educational aspect. I just hated so, school. I, you've never met anyone who hated school as much as I did. Right. <laughs> okay. So, um, what kind of bullying? When you say bullying, what I mean, I'm just curious. What would how, what form would bullying take? Were they just teasing you, or just kind of ignoring you, or were they were, were there were there like a couple kids that were like physically attacking you? I mean, what is it? What does that even? What is the bullying? What does a form does even take? Well, for me, it was, it, it was, in, it was interesting. It was, it was definitely psychological. And what it was, was because of the kind of level of sensitivity that I had as a kid, the, the, the kind of wimpy little kids who weren't so sensitive, but would be, were physically bullied, kind of realized that they could use me as their foil. So mm. they would kind of mentally make fun of me at that stage. Right. So I would, I would okay. then be the foil and uh, they'd get people to laugh that way. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, okay. <laughs> Getting real so, serious. Yeah, I'm just trying to picture how this stuff happened. I mean, so 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 you'd get bullied, and then you'd tell your mom, and you'd have you're, you'd be crying or throwing a fit, and your mom was like, "All right, fine, you're not going to school tomorrow, right?" Pretty and yeah, kind of, yeah, sort of. I mean, I I, I, I would be, I would be just like, no, I'm not going. I mean, I would be pretty kind of vehement, like I'm not going there. Right, and your mom was just like, in the mo- would your mom have to go to work or something? And she yeah, was just yeah, like, she, well. she had to do a job, yeah, of course, yeah. And so she's like, because she w- your parents were divorced? They were. And so your mom's, you're, you're living with your mom, and your mom has to get a, <laughs> go to work, and you're throwing, you know, you're just if, refusing to go to school, and so finally she just throws her hands up, and she's like, fine, stay home, you know? <laughs> Probably, yeah. And so you stay home. Well, so she wasn't like, okay, well, if you're going to stay home, here's what you need to learn. Like, you know, it wasn't any of that. That didn't happen. And, I mean, and the other thing is, is that, I mean, given given the kind of uh, scenario of being so unhappy, I'm probably remembering it incorrectly, right? So I'm probably not even telling telling it exactly as it was. So that may, you know, maybe yeah. maybe my mum did do things like that that I'm not aware of. I just basically had a pretty miserable childhood. But from that point of view, you know, what would you do at home all day? Oh man, I can't even remember. I mean, I've, I just don't. I don't know. <laughs> like watch TV or something. I don't know. I think I. You know what I really used to love doing? I used to, I used to love like um, climbing up on top of roofs and things. <laughs> that used to be my so you'd be thing out in the do. neighborhood yeah. scaling walls <laughs> as, like Spider Man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and people were like, "What is that eight year old kid doing that on the like roof my across the street?" Thing to do in those days, yeah. Did he would report you to the police or about like we have this eight year old kid who's on top of this three story building across no, the street? No, it, 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 no, no, no. Is someone concerned? No one was concerned about it? No. Wow. <laughs> you were like a junior superhero. <laughs> you just weren't really saving anybody. Oh, God. This, this is just, I, this is, I just don't know if we should be putting this out. But anyway. Oh, this is fine. This is fine. So, but what's interesting is that you dropped out of school finally and for good when you were 16. Right. Right. Which just like Peter Cooper, right? But, but, but not only show. that, like, I think I should also mention that I pretty much flunked every test, like everything. In fact, you, you may say, oh, well, then you, then you were probably really talented at art. But the answer is no. <laughs> I basically, I, I, I just scraped through art at, by the skin of my teeth. So, so you basically, now, were you even trying to do on the test or were you just like, I'm not even going to try? I, I was you trying, yeah, I was really trying. I just, it just, nothing stuck, you know? Huh. But, so, but then you said after you left school, you started reading a lot. Uh, kind of like about, when I hit 18, I don't know why, I just really started reading a lot of books. I got, got into books. But the kind of books that I was really interested in reading that I just consumed tons of were books that were kind of about, <laughs> well, it was a cross between <laughs> quantum physics <laughs> and metaphysical books. Okay. <laughs> don't ask me why. I was just just really interested in, you know, what what us our psyche is made of and, and what the universe is made of. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, those are, they're interesting subjects. So, so you were reading, so you became an intellectual, you, were, you became an, an intellectual with, without the, the educational foundation. I, no, I never became, base. I've never become an intellectual, no. No, because, because <laughs> basically, um, I'm, I never had, I've never had the ability to kind of read and then quote what I've read or quote the authors. So I don't quite fit that intellectual bill. I'm just good at consuming. You, just, you don't always remember what I'm you're doing. I'm consuming so well. it and, and then kind of bringing it on board and it's somewhere in there and it, it, it's, it's relevant to all the stuff that I do in the future, but I can't kind of 
easily pick at an individual bits of information. Right. Huh. So <laughs> that is really interesting. So, but as we've talked about on the podcast in earlier episodes, you, you eventually, you went on a career in uh, music. So around that age of 18 is when you started well, learning how no, to play guitar. A, a little bit. I mean, I was, I was always kind of doing music as a hobby, but then I also did compute like I, as, as we mentioned in the previous show, when I was about 18, I ran into apples and I, I just absolutely loved them and basically bullshitted my way in as, as a tech support engineer uh, for, for an Apple sales ship. Right. And so, I don't know, but just computers were just felt very natural to me. And, um, you know, even hypercard programming just felt very natural. And then I had a little go with Pascal and programming Max and, you know, C made a lot of sense to me and Unix made sense to me and all that stuff. And the internet just totally made sense to me. So I guess through being able, and then, you know, when Google came on and you could, you could search for, for anything you needed. And I mean, at first I just used to go out and buy books about programming and coding and I just kind of hack, hack through it myself. But then once other people started putting up tutorials, wow, that was just massive. I remember seeing right. um, php.com and the tutorials on that. And I was just like, oh, this is it. This is it. I can really get what I want done now, you know? Right. Right. Well, that's interesting. It's just interesting that that's what happened. Then that you said even today, though, you're still not good with your multiplication table. So if I said, what, seven times eight, you'd have, you, you'd have to calculate it because you didn't ever memorize exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really <laughs> stupid. It's really funny. No, it's just funny. I mean, no, I mean, you know, look, I mean, things didn't come together for you as a kid, but you know, you've managed to still get yourself in a position where you make a good living using your brain. Well, but it's also like the, the, the whole business thing. I mean, texting in a sense is a fractal of that whole thing because like, it's like the only way I could actually learn to be a successful businessman in business is through just continually talking to people every week <laughs> about how they did it. And then it'll gradually soak in. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's what you have to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Huh. Wow. Well, that's, uh, I think it's kind of, I, I, anyway, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was impressive that you were able to pull out of that because a lot of people who, who would have been, been sort of, um, hindered by the lack of a solid uh, educational foundation would have been, had a real struggle the rest of their lives and would have been, you know, sort of very menial, low paying jobs. Well, I think right? the thing that makes, that makes my scenario unique is that the family, I, I came from two, this is also another weird thing. One side of my family, my, my dad's side are very, very poor and like okay. kind of practically gypsies. <laughs> and then right. my mom's side are very kind of rich and wealthy. So I have, I had both of those experiences. So like I would, you know, you've got to mix in with this that I would be kind of spending time with my mum and, and that side of the family and we'd be in really nice houses driving really nice cars and then I'd go on holiday with my with my father's side of the family in Ireland and we'd be like we'd have nothing <laughs> so that was another right. little thing so I think that because I had I had the two different perspectives of seeing what it was like to live with zero money and what it was like to live with a lot of money I, I never would have gone down the path of just you know go, going on the scrap heap kind of thing right right that's very interesting so you know what i'm going to save my big topic for our next show <laughs> but i'm gonna have another i'm gonna have one sort of you're not going to end on that topic. download can i can i just uh, just yeah. say that um that feels weird to talk about that on the show um it's very personal <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't even know if this is going to end up in the in the final come cut. on come on 
Radical transparency. Look, I talked about the whole David Vogel thing, right? Okay. But I don't think you we know. should do this every week. Like, I don't think we no. should just get, like, this is, this is, is like. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. The okay. rare okay. ones. Okay. 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 Right, right, okay. right, right. Okay. So, you, you know, the, um, the whole thing about the tiger mother, do you, do you remember that whole thing about the Chinese mothers? We talked a little bit about that in the panel show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Panel show about how, you know, there was a sort of tendency of for Chinese moms to want to really push their kids to become musical or mathematical prodigies. Mm-hmm. And it was this interesting article talk about, and I guess it was entitled the tiger mother versus cost benefit analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's really interesting. And, and essentially, you know, what I'm saying is like, look, if the kids hate it and you hate it and it may not be clearly long run, or long run benefits, why are you even doing it? Right. Because if, if, if the kid doesn't want, let's say like piano, right. Let's say you're trying to make your kid take piano lessons and they don't want to do it and they they hate it. And then you're forcing them. So you're having to struggle and fight with your kid. And, and by the way, you know, anyone who doesn't have kids, it's not like you just tell them to do stuff and they do it if they hate it, <laughs> which I'm sure your mother can attest to. Right. Just, and it's like you if your kids hate stuff, it's going to be, it's, it, they're going to make you as miserable as them. Well, it's, well it. if you have a specific kid, it's actually impossible to make them do something that they don't want to do. Well, you can for sure appear. I mean, you can literally, you, know, you can make them sit there and sit at the piano and try, but I mean, it, they'll just, you know, it, it, they're going to make you pay for it hard, yeah. right? They're going to throw a tantrum. They're going to whine and complain. They're not going to do it. And it's just so frustrating. And, and the question is like, if they really don't like it, they're not going, and they, once they get to a certain age, they're going to stop doing it anyway. So it's just not going to be, it's not going to become a professional pianist or something. I know, I know right? a few people who've done exactly that. Yeah, and and what happened? They they they. I know one person who was basically <laughs> funny. You should say it was going to be a professional pianist, and and her mother was really pushing her, and yeah. got got to the point where she was kind of uh, 15, uh, sixteen, seventeen, and the just said, you know what, I don't want to do this. Stopped and was was amazing. Was an amazing pianist, and then just sure. stopped. Didn't didn't play again. Yeah, I mean, in in. I think that's the case. A lot of parents do that. Oops. Did that make a big noise? Because there's so much... No, no, no. Because you, you know what? There's so much shame attached with it. Like, there's so, there's so much shame attached with it and so much, uh, uh, I guess, what's the, what's the word? Like, overbearingness from their parents. It's almost like if they even touched a piano again, it would be an insult. Right. Well... Yeah, I guess so. Well, the thing is, too, is people just burn out, right? They just associate, just, it was painful. Something they didn't want to do and they were forced to do. So why are they going to do it now for fun, right? So, so Their parents sort of sucked all of the fun out of it for them. So, so I'm guessing what you're going to say is that, that from a cost-benefit point of view, it's like, well, it would be better to just be happy with your child, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as a parent, so like I've, I, I have three little kids, six, four, and two. And so we're just getting into that age, you know, with Colby's six, you know, you know, into activities, right? Things that he wants to do. And the question is how, when do you push and when do you not push? And I think, you know, you generally, you don't want to push very much. I mean, you want to like, you know, you know, make them do their homework, right? He doesn't necessarily want to do his math homework every night, but you make him sit down for 15 minutes and do his math homework, right? I mean, just because he doesn't want to do it doesn't mean you let him not do it. But when it comes to activities, you know, you know, like music, like sports, like art or whatever, you, you really, I think what you want to do is you want to expose them to a number of things that you think they might enjoy that they, and especially things that not only they might enjoy, but they might be naturally 
disposed to be good at, right? Um, because, you know, if you, if you, let's say that you yourself are six foot seven, <laughs> you know, your wife's tall too, you might want to introduce your kid to basketball, right? Because <laughs> they might be really good. And, and guess what? It's fun to be good at stuff. And it's not very fun to be really bad at stuff and for people to make fun of you and laugh at you and, and not give you a lot of respect. That sucks, right? I mean, go to watch, uh, you know, go watch an episode of um, American Idol and, and see how much fun those people who, are, who suck at singing and everyone's telling them how bad they are. It's no fun. But sometimes right? people can, you know, wait, sometimes people aren't even particularly talented at something, but they just want it so freaking much that they just overcome everything to make it happen. I mean, you even see guitarists with, with hands that are just too small and they shouldn't be able to play the guitar and they've just got to, you know, stretch their fingers in really awkward ways to even make it happen. But they battle through it. They made it work. That's true, but I think that's rare. And I think, and if you can dissuade someone from doing it, then they don't have enough passion anyway. So it's like if someone says, oh, I want to do a startup and you're like, you shouldn't do one. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> if, if that was you dissuade them, then they're, they weren't ever going to stick with it anyway. <laughs> that's true, yeah. So if someone says, oh, I want to be a singer. And you're like, look, you really don't have the vocal chords for it. You know, if that, if that dissuades them, yeah, just, they just don't have the passion. They don't have the drive. <clears throat> so I think as a parent, you really want to sort of, um, you want to you wanna somehow stoke that inner fire, right? And I was thinking that with, with Colby because Colby is kind of, you know, he's playing soccer, playing basketball, and doing karate at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, that's a lot, you know? And, but he wants to do it all. Like, he, he's karate twice a week, basketball well, twice a week. But he's just and, and, kind of and, exploring which one of those he's, he, like, I'm sure that in... No, it's not a witch. Well, it, it is going to be, more. right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I played multiple sports year round. I, I mean, even in college, I played soccer and ran track. So as soon as soccer season was over, I had like a week off and then it was right into track season. Well, and it was winter track and fall, spring well, track. Because you've so also I got the parkour as well, right? He's doing that. We haven't done that in a, in a couple months because um, the friend of ours, the friend of mine who's, you know, um, the stuntman gymnast guy, he's, he's, he hasn't had time, so we haven't gone. But, you know, but anyway, he's doing soccer like four days a week right now which is crazy, right? But he loves it. So he's always to go. And then one night we had off, we're, we're driving back, um, we're in the car and uh, it was one night we had off when we, I took the kids to the gym with me. They have this big play daycare thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dad, he's like, I want you to start doing those practices again on Sundays. You know, cause I organized, I, I got a bunch of kids together and I would organize my own little training sessions for like an hour and a half on Sunday afternoons. And I, and I had discontinued them for a couple months cause he had soccer season and the, and the holidays and everything. And I'm like, you want to play more, <laughs> right? I'm like, because I don't. I'm like, I don't want to burn him out, right? I mean, like, I just, I, I you know, I, I understand. You can easily burn kids out, but it's funny because he wants to do it anyway, right? But even still, it's like I still want to be careful not to allow him to burn himself out, right? Just because you love it doesn't mean that you should do it. You know, four days. Well, a week, remember, you know? remember, man on a wire theory. You've got to keep him hooked, right? So to to keep him hooked, you've got to give him not let him do it quite as much as he wants to do it. Yeah, you kind of hold him back just a little bit, say, hey, listen, you know, you need some time just to... But, you know, one thing is, too, one thing that is true about our situation that may not be, isn't the case with all little kids, is that we live in a condo, so we don't have, like, a backyard. We can just, like, go in the backyard and just go out and run around. Mm-hmm. So we have to go somewhere. We have to go to a park, or he has to go to some kind of activity. So, Which is good, because it's, it makes it more of a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, like, so it's just like if he's not doing an activity or he doesn't go to the gym with me to go in there and play in the daycare thing, I mean, he's at home, mm-hmm. right? He's just sitting at home 
you know, I mean, he'll be building stuff or, you know, sometimes he'll be watching TV. So it's like, you know, I'd rather him go to basketball practice or karate than, and have fun there than sit around and watch TV, you know? But it's just, it's just interesting. The other thing I was going to say about this, um, ti- this tiger mother versus cost benefit analysis. Yeah. And I was thinking about writing a, a blog post about this is the same reason that I don't think you should bother trying to have your kids learn a second language when they're growing up. Ooh. And I know this controversial, very controversial. but here's the thing. If, if they know English, because English is the language that people have to know, right? <laughs> oh, oh, God. I'm, I'm telling okay, you, look, please listen, email listen, listen, listen. Um, Jason at <laughs> textinglive.com. <laughs> no, listen, listen, listen. I didn't mean to end on a controversial topic, but let's just talk for a second, okay? You know, why <laughs> oh do God. people, if, if, if we're, you're, you're lucky, you're, it's like you're lucky that you know English because you need to know English to... Um, to get a lot of, for a lot of opportunities to happen, right? If you grow up in China or Japan, what are they going to do? A lot of times they're going to have you learn English, right? But you're, you're actually lucky enough to actually know it. So it's like, but uh, just, does just, learning... Just, just rewind with just one second. If mm-hmm. you grow up in China, a lot of the times they're going to make you learn English. Yeah, they go to school. Like, no, yeah, they're gonna, but, they, they... But, 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 but there is like so many people in China and very, very few of them learn English. Like most of them don't know English. So... That's fine. So it doesn't so not matter. A lot of the it, times, like a tiny fraction of the times, they're going to make. Yeah, you but English. I mean, if you're if you if they're, if they're kids who are going to go off and be really successful in college and school and good advanced degrees, a lot of the times they're going to be pushed to learn English because if they want to study, if they want to be in, work in Europe or in the U.S. or have any opportunities in that direction, they're going to say you need to learn English. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think China's a bad example because they they are now they don't need to go anywhere. They can kind of do it all at home. Nah. No, nah, they're not nearly as far there. People overstate the China thing. It's going to be huge, but it's not there. It's not there yet. It's like, look, if you if your goal is to work in China, let's say you want to go and work in Hong Kong. I are you, ha- you going to be happy to put this out? Yes. Can I finish? You just keep interrupting Sorry. me. Can I make my statement? <laughs> okay. You keep trying to hedge for me. Don't hedge for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, it's like, look, you know, I have a friend of mine who is an investment banker in Hong Kong, right? He went to college and learn, took Mandarin in college, and uh, then he went and studied abroad, and now he, you know, and he's basically lived in China ever since college. You know, and if that's what you want to do, you want to go live in Italy, if it's your dream is to live in Italy, then learn Italian, you know? I mean, but if you think, well, what opportunities, like, what is, no, what is knowing German really going to do for you if you live in the U.S.? Unless you want to do business with, in Germany, and that's your goal. Is your goal because you love Germany? Or because... The thing is, translators don't make much money, right? And the people in these other countries, for the most part, if they're going to be doing business with you, are going to be having to learn English. So you're kind of lucky. So it's like you're better, you're, you're more advantaged to learn some other skill. Would it be better for, for me to have Colby learning French for the next 10 years or for her, him to learn how to write code and be, a, and be a, <laughs> an, going into college and he's an awesome programmer? <laughs> Right, like just as a, just as an example, yeah. just as one particular skill, right? Because yeah. I know a lot of a lot of friends of mine. They knew Korean or they knew you know Chinese, or whatever, because their parents were, and it didn't do them any good at all whatsoever. Right, didn't mean anything. Didn't come to anything. So, and they learned it the easy way because their parents spoke it at home. And I know a lot of, and I run into a lot of parents who are like, oh, I send them in this Italian immersion or this Chinese immersion. They go to school and they speak Italian or Chinese or French or whatever it is, and um. Or, or even on the weekends, they have to go take classes. But in I Chinese feel a little bit like like I, w- I was feeling in the Andrew Warner interview, and I, like I want to say, well, sometimes p- 
people just want to do stuff just from a cultural point of view. I mean, it's not about, be- you know, getting more money. It's just like... Well, I'm just saying, I don't think that's the case. I think parents are doing it because they're trying to set their kids up to be advantaged because they think the world's going to take a certain shape. They think it's going to, they're going to be better advantaged in the future. They're not just, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, by by learning this language, you're going to be more culturally sophisticated. You know, you'd you'd probably be more culturally sophisticated if you, if you went and traveled and spent a couple of summers in those countries. Rather, rather than spending day after day, night after night, weekend after weekend learning language, because it takes you know, thousands and thousands of hours to learn a language. And then you really have to go live there for at least a, at least a year to become fluent anyway. And I, you know, and I know this is controversial because people are always like, oh, you should, the best time to learn a language is when you're young. But it's like, well, what difference does that make? You already know English. You got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, got, you got bored in a language where you actually learn a language everybody speaks. Everybody has to translate to learn your language. Use your time to learn a skill that people value. People don't value the fact that you speak, you know, Swedish. It doesn't matter unless you live in Sweden. Because <laughs> guess what? All the Swedes speak English anyway. Well, <laughs> in, France, in France, I can tell you, they, they, they value that you speak French and they, they, they well, practically won't speak to you in English. <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 yeah, I've traveled around France a few different times. Yeah, I understand that. But unless you're going to go live in France, it really doesn't matter right, right. what the French think, right? It doesn't matter what, you know, anyone thinks. Unless you're, unless you're going to live there. The problem is you don't know what you're going to do as an adult until you're that age, until you're that age. Like, let's say, let's say that you're in your 20s. And you're like, hey, you know, I suddenly have this bee in my bonnet about moving to this other country. You know, well, then you guess what? Go take a, an immersion course and then go and live there and you'll learn to speak the language when you need it. You know, the, 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 it's like premature optimization. The few people it's that like, I know who were taken down this path and became kind of um, natural speakers of that language, what happened mm-hmm. to them was they ended up moving to that country because they loved it so much and living there and moving away from their parents. So yeah. it's actually probably a bad idea in the sense that your kids will probably move away from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want your kid to go live in Japan, you never see, you see him once every three years learn Japanese. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah, well, that's right. My buddy Jesse, the one who learned Chinese, lives in Hong Kong, and I, and I see him once every three or four years. I mean, he's, nobody ever sees him, and he's, he lives in Hong Kong. I mean, he loves it, but, you know, I'm sure he'd love it if he lived in a variety of other cities in the U.S. Doing, or anywhere else. You know, it's just that was just one, you know place you know and it just happened he took advantage of yeah. of the chinese but the reality is most of the other people he worked with the other investment bankers and stuff they don't speak chinese they speak english yeah. and they can still do the same job it doesn't really matter and i'm just saying that you know yeah if you if you're not if you're natural if your native language is anything other than english yeah you know you might learn english will probably benefit you quite a bit in the in sort of the cost benefit analysis but using the cost benefit now, do the cost outweigh the benefits? I think learning a language, if you're, if you know English, I, what I would, and that's what I think when you go to high school, they always say like, learn a second language. Like, you know, they, they basically are most college, most high schools, that's like French or Spanish. Like I took four years of French in high school. I don't remember anything. I took a year of German in college. I don't remember anything. This is nothing. Yeah. This is, you know, gone. But I would say take a couple years of linguistics where they teach you the structure of languages and how languages evolved independently and influenced one another and how languages influenced, you know, different types of thinking. And that would be an interesting study. If you want to understand like how other cultures evolved and how the importance that language played and in how the writing of languages, you know, how that evolved and changed, that would be really interesting. And that would make, that would, um, I think increases people's, the, the sophistication with which they think about language than just say taking Spanish for a couple of years in high school. Well, I would, I mean, if I had a choice over what people were going to do, I'd say learn coding because learn it, yeah. with coding, you, what's so great about coding is it empowers you to build stuff and make, make things happen, you know? Yeah, you, you can create stuff that nobody else can. It's like if you can't code, you can't, 
you're, you're totally dependent on other people to make your ideas come alive in the digital, virtual world, yeah. internet, everything. And, and if you can write code, you know, you don't have to be a professional coder, but it's, it's, it, it allows you to create stuff out of nothing. But if you're not, you're kind of limited. And it's just like math is the same way. If you don't know a certain level of math, if you, you know, if you, if you, you like most people, they stop after like algebra two and trig or something in high school, they never go on to taking, you know, calculus, much less. You hey, know, a couple of people stopped before career. their multiplication tables. <laughs> but you know the whole world of economics and uh, physics and i mean just tons of fields is totally shut off to you you'll never have any kind of real understanding of any of it if you don't understand but you know i don't know so that's just my thought i was just reading this thing about the the cost benefit analysis of learning you know uh people you know forcing your kids to learn you know uh the piano or violin or something and i'm like i think the same applies to learning foreign languages well, i think i think that's good i think it's a, a, a nicely controversial way to end the show um, <laughs> <laughs> think i write a blog post you think, you think that'll <laughs> i don't know maybe i think uh people would need to listen to the show to see the intent behind your voice if you do a blog post you'd have to be very careful about it i don't care all right i don't care i know i i, I, I will know, i will be a lightning rod for the controversy <laughs> all right well uh yeah great show good yep all right that's a wrap we're out